never-ending mutual back-scratching, humble bragging, virtue signalling, and a lot of nonsense. This is how Lucinda Holdforth describes the professional networking site LinkedIn. She's an author and a speechwriter for former Australian Deputy Prime Minister Kim Beasley. She says, spend 30 minutes on LinkedIn and you'll discover how concepts like authenticity, empathy, vulnerability and self-care are elevated by our society. And while they may seem virtuous, Lucinda says they're self-centred. And when they are made the measure of mental and social health, they become problematic. Her new book argues that putting self before community and feelings over facts will not be good enough to solve the world's problems. The book's called 21st Century Virtues, How They Are Failing Our Democracy. And Lucinda Holdforth joins me now. Hi. Hi, Jesse. Great to be here. Yeah, great topic. Thank you. What are some of the topics you keep hearing that motivated you to write this book? Well, LinkedIn is obviously a fantastic source of um, discovering what modern virtues look like. And LinkedIn is where, you know, professionals, corporate people, people on the rise go to, well, they used to go just to share their CVs for jobs, network and so on. And now it's become what I call neoliberalism's portal, a place where people promote these virtues relentlessly promoting themselves and effectively their companies too, telling us that the corporates they work for are unrelentingly good places. Um, when I started out looking at this topic, Jesse, I, I, you know, I'm a speech writer. I look at words around the culture and what I noticed was these words coming up time and again, and they were uh, vulnerability, authenticity, my truth is a big one. And mm -hmm. uh, my truth may or may not be the same as the truth. Um, and those three virtues imply a kind of radical transparency. In other words, that your whole self is exposed to the world. Um, the other ones are self-care. So once we elevate self-care to the status of a complete virtue, then in a sense, it's impossible to be selfish anymore because everything is self-care and <laughs> self-care is good. And it also means, doesn't it, that those people who are unfortunate enough not to be able to look after themselves very well get consigned to the unvirtue column. And finally, of course, we have endless humility and empathy. Um, where I saw, where I traced the origins of this new virtue system back to was the work of an American, very charming American woman who gave a TED Talk in 2010, and her name's Brené Brown. Yes. She gave a talk called The Power of Vulnerability. I don't know if you're aware of Brené Brown. I Jessie. hear her name all the time, and um, and I know that she has a lot of uh, followers um, out there. Yeah, but I'm not intimate with her work. She uh, She's very well known. She's become a kind of enormous industry, so... Uh, here in Sydney, where I live, there's the big bookshop Dimmicks in the centre of town. There's basically a whole floor devoted to Brené Brown books. <laughs> her her theory was, in that first address, was uh, it was called The Power of Vulnerability. And she said that America suffered from these problems. And those problems were um, obesity, addiction, self-medication and indebtedness. 
And her answer to that problem, well, first of all, her diagnosis of the problem wasn't, you know, economic disparity. It wasn't the precariousness of modern work. It was that we had failed to connect. And her argument was that if we were vulnerable with each other, then we would connect and we would feel better about ourselves and make a better society. And she's written a series of books since then. And the extraordinary thing about these virtues, Jesse, is that um, they are everywhere from senior corporate leaders talking this language uh -huh. of humility, sharing their vulnerable selves, church leaders, vice chancellors at universities, school principals. It's, it's absolutely everywhere and monolithic. And yet we no longer hear about words so much like integrity, truthfulness, uh, self-restraint. These words seem to have disappeared from the lexicon. Yeah, interestingly, you, you, you talk in the book about coming upon an old snakes and ladders board game from the 1930s. There were virtues and sins on that board that, that when you look at them, they're a real contrast to what we regard as virtues and sins today. Yes, it was quite extraordinary. I was at a friend's house and I'd been thinking about these words in the culture and thinking, what does it mean that these are the these are the words, these are the virtues that matter? And it's a beautiful old snakes and ladders board. And for those who don't know, they um, you know, if you get on the if you get on the bottom of a ladder and the, uh, on a land on a virtue, you go up to the top. And if you hit on a vice, you go down. In other words, there's social penalties for or game penalties, social penalties for vices. And the vices were interesting. They were things like anger. Well, I'm going to list them for you, Jesse, if you'll yeah, permit me, because there were many vices in yeah, the old yeah. days. Anger, avarice, cruelty, covetousness, dishonesty, depravity, frivolity used to be a vice. Mm -hmm. It's not a vice anymore. Quarrelsomeness, selfishness, slander, pride was a vice. Unpunctuality was a vice. Now, I'm very disappointed that we no longer rate <laughs> unpunctuality as a problem. <laughs> and vanity was a vice. And, of course, vanity now is considered mandatory because it's self-care. So many sort of silly things have disappeared from the culture, and that's great. But what I worry about is good the good qualities like... Um, Kindness, truthfulness, self-restraint, honesty, those kind of virtues seem to have um, subsided. So people have said to me, well, Lucinda, what's wrong with being authentic and humble? And these are really nice virtues. And in a sense, I agree with that. There's nothing wrong with them in proportion. But in the absence of those other virtues, we do end up in a society where it's me first, myself um, before society uh, and in some ways even more alarmingly we we privilege feelings how I feel my feelings my what what evokes my personal empathy what is my truth above facts and um, there's an amazing uh, Nobel Prize winning journalist Maria Ressa she won the Nobel Prize a few years ago and she said she said this, she said, without facts, you can't have truth. Without truth, you can't have trust. And without those three things, you can't have a shared reality, solve problems, and have democracy. And that's where I really am concerned. 
if we don't have, I think the phrase shared reality is very important because it implies a civic sense that's shared and a reality that's shared. It's not my truth over here, take it or leave it, your truth over there, take it or leave it. It reflects the idea that in a democracy, we have to have a shared sense of who we are, what we're about and what we're doing. And I feel that democracy gets weakened ultimately if we just keep these pursuing these virtues, so-called, in the absence of some of those other key virtues and a sense of civic and democratic um, participation. It doesn't matter if you're late as long as you're looking after yourself. <laughs> right? Exactly right. <laughs> it doesn't matter me first. And and uh, it doesn't matter if you're late. Uh, and uh, one of the funniest things or uh, that I see is, you know, there's great fashion now for talking about authentic leaders and empathetic leaders. And that sounds great, except that's personal virtues, isn't it? Uh, it's about sort of personal measures of what's good. But the sort of leaders I respect have kind of universal principles that they follow and a sense of what's right for all citizens. So when someone says, oh, that leader's so empathetic, I think, well, that sort of implies um, instances that evoke a personal emotion. Uh, your former Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, is such an interesting example because mm. she, she was seen, um, and she was, a very expressive person. So I'm speaking from Australia, so yeah. this is just kind of from across the ditch yeah. having a look. Uh, she seemed she was very expressive and warm, not afraid of human contact, physical human contact. Um, she was also extremely decisive, opinionated, took hard lines on on things that she thought were right. Um, and when she when she resigned, you know, in Australia there were all these op eds about poor, vulnerable Jacinta. You know, she was a woman; she was treated badly, and I thought, oh, she was. She was a tough, canny politician. She saw the polling, she got out. Let's not attribute vulnerability to her as a virtue uh, when she was actually just a very, you know, uh, she had her time in politics and I'm, I'm sure she will have a big international career going forward. Uh, on vulnerability, you view that as a self-indulgence in a way. How so? Um. I view it as a danger, actually. Mm -hmm. So if um, in a couple of ways, the first way is I think uh, the idea of Brene Brown saying, you know, we are all vulnerable, that is true. And it is great to recognise, you know, it's, it's, it's not a bad thing to say leaders don't have to look sort of all-knowing and all-powerful all the time. That old model is gone and, and that's a good thing. What worries me is when we start parading that as a sort of something to aspire to, mm. to aspire to vulnerability. Right. What kind of society do you make when you aspire to that? And it really worries me when we see, think about how we bring up our kids. I mean, now there's a movement to do resilience training for kids. And I think that's exactly right. And what we need to bring up are sort of young people who are going to deal with the terrible challenges we face on this planet in the coming years. Um, and yet, ironically, their parents are being encouraged to show vulnerability all the time, and that's treated as something 
very good. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first concern I have. The second one is um, a sort of concern about democratic free speech. So I see more and more often people saying, oh, when you say this, I feel bad, I feel attacked, I feel unsafe, I feel vulnerable. And we now have a you know an increasing trend for trigger warnings and contact warnings and all of those things and that might seem very harmless and might seem seem to be the measure of a caring society but the bigger risk is when I look at you and if you say to me I'm feeling unsafe I'm uncomfortable with what you're saying that puts great pressure on me if I'm a good person and I want to be a good person not to say what I really think And democracy relies on freedom of speech fundamentally. And if we start suppressing that freedom of speech, even through these sort of uh, measures that are not legislated, but part of our culture, part of our virtue system, we are heading down a very dangerous path. We need to debate. We need to be able to say difficult things to each other and accept that. I'm talking to Lucinda Holdforth, former, uh, well, she's an author, and she's a speechwriter, and her book is called 21st Century Virtues, How They Are Failing Our Democracy. So we've talked about vulnerability a bit there. And, and how about authenticity? Do, do you think all the effort to be authentic is actually a little dishonest? Well, certainly, Jesse, you know, to paraphrase great Groucho masks, if you can fake authenticity, you've got it made. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but more seriously... We, we do now elevate this idea of authenticity. And what worries me about that is that um, authenticity is fantastic if you're trying to buy, a, you know, an old master painting, right? You know that that painting was done by that painter and therefore it's worth this much. But we human beings are not fixed. We are malleable. We change. We evolve. Uh, And we need to be able to do that in our lives on the basis of our experiences and our interactions with others. Aristotle thought that virtue did not rely on some authentic self. On the contrary, he said virtue lay in doing the right thing at the right time for the right reasons. In other words, we are social animals, we are political animals, and where virtue lies isn't just being true to what we believe at any, you know, our own goodness. It's about responding to circumstances for the good of society. Um, and in the essay, in the book, I talk about uh, there's a, numerous examples of leaders who held strong views about particular issues and who were forced to overturn them for the greater good. And in Australia, it was the Prime Minister John Curtin during second, the Second World War. He uh, was a pacifist. He did not believe in war. And yet he found himself in the terrible position uh, of, of taking Australia into World War II. And he did that because that was the greater good. He ruptured his own authentic beliefs for the greater good. I find that story extremely moving and a very important lesson to us all about let's not ask our leaders to hang on to some if you if you like awful personal brand idea of who they are mm. let's ask them to respond to circumstances if you if you were to have a john curtain today and the same thing happened 
And he said, well, this is what I've believed my entire life, but I'm going to act differently because that's what circumstances demand. We wouldn't applaud him for his moral courage. We would criticise and pillory him for no longer being authentic. Mm -hmm. And I would also note, um, you know, there's um, there's something beautiful about the human the human diversity within us, isn't there? I mean, Virginia Woolf, um, the great British writer, talked about so many selves, she talked about, that we all have so many selves within us. Let's not shut ourselves down into some perfect, authentic thing like a piece of old silver with a stamp on it. Let's remember that we are complex, diverse, changing creatures, evolving with the times. There's so much in the book, some really some really big ideas, um, and people can read them in their own time and decide which they agree with and which they don't. But in your view, where to from here? Well, Jesse, I guess I wrote this book to to ask that question. You know, I thought, well, I wonder what people will make of my um, perception of what's going on. What I would like to see is people thinking about these things and discussing them and and arguing with me. And in fact, people already are arguing with me. And I love it. I think it's great. I've received um, a letter from um, a Christian um, minister saying, I really like what you're saying, and I don't know why you don't think we should go back to the old church system and follow the rules of the church. So people are, you know, coming up with different ideas. I don't agree with that way forward, but I think that's what I care about is a democracy. And in a democracy, it's a contest of ideas. So let's have, let's think explicitly about what kind of society we want to make. And is a society based on just self over self before community and feelings before facts is that what we think will help us solve all the big problems we face or should we think again should we think about a bit harder and let's maybe bring back honesty truthfulness trustworthiness self-restraint and a commitment to our democratic institutions because in part of some of the things you mention, um, when people disagree with you in 2023, there's a tendency not to uh, argue on uh, in good faith, but in fact to tell everyone that you're a bad person. <laughs> Have you heard much of that? Exactly. That's exactly right. And I decided, you know, Jesse, I thought, I know I might get into trouble for this, but I think integrity is more important than authenticity these days. And integrity means you have to speak up for what you think when you see a problem in society, when you worry about your children and grandchildren, what sort of society they'll grow up into. And, um, yeah, and not to be afraid to speak out. Will you be opening this up for debate on LinkedIn? (laughs) I have opened it up, Jesse. I outed myself on LinkedIn and it went nuts that article's been sent all around the world uh so it was an excerpt from the book in the sydney morning herald and the age here in australia it went everywhere and uh people are talking about it now and of course the great thing is so many people have said oh god we hate all this rubbish on linkedin and thank you for pointing it out so it's it's been really worthwhile for that yeah and to finish i should probably make it clear that um what you stand for, um, and in case people are only half listening or maybe just picked up the headline, you are not against things like empathy, about being empathetic, um, 
it's really the way that those things are elevated as virtues at the expense of other things. And for example, you might say that, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you might say that kindness is more important than empathy. And how would you distinguish between those two? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I work for a Labour government. Um, I'm a left progressive. Empathy sounds good, and many of these virtues sound good. But empathy is a great way just to simply say, I feel your pain. Mm. I feel your pain. And uh, that's a great cop-out, isn't it? You don't have to do anything. You just say, I feel your pain, and that's enough. So I suppose my thinking about these these so-called virtues is, we need to challenge them sometimes and say, well, maybe kindness is more important because if you are to if you are to be a kind person, that demands action on mm. your part, that you do something. So, you know, when I, um, like many, many women, I had breast cancer and um, I, I was at home and um, what struck me, what was so moving was how people's kindness was ex- expressed through their different personalities. So... I had a friend who loved cooking. She would bring food around. I had another friend who was working in a secondhand bookshop. So she would select secondhand books and mail. She was living in another city and she would just send me a book once every three or four weeks, a book or two. So people, people's kindness was an expression of their different, you know, attributes, strengths, interests and pleasures. And what they gave me, I, I think, was comfort, which means, you know, with strength. They gave me strength through their good and kind behaviours. And um, they didn't say, I feel your pain. I can't feel another woman's pain when she's in breast cancer. I have an idea, but I can't feel it because we're all different and they can't feel mine. But what we can be is kind to each other and practical measures are always very welcome. Good stuff. Great place to finish. The book's called 21st Century Virtues, How They Are Failing Our Democracy. And I've been talking to speechwriter and author Lucinda Holdforth. Thanks, Lucinda. Nice to talk to you today. Thank you, Jesse.